Um, from my right hand, it's Debbie Breitenbach, Friediger, Jan Hitchens, Karen Breinert, and in the middle, Mr. Martin himself. Welcome. Very sturdy book bags by Pentum Random House. Free for gratis. Everyone who wants one can come to me afterwards. Five. Okay, Annie, I've been tasked to ask you the first question. We, we, we actually sat down and we decided we're going to interrogate you properly and thoroughly so that everybody here will fully understand the situation and Jack Reacher and Lee Child and you at the end of this, this uh, talk. I like the interrogation thing. Yes, like interrogation. Jack killing floor. I've just been arrested by these yes. women. And they're going to pin me down until I, you know, confess. <laughs> we, to we didn't, things to you. Yes, I'm not quite yes. sure what I've done, but okay, yeah, go Yes, on. absolutely. <laughs> you say you mentioned that you picked up your first Jack Reacher purely by chance in an airport lounge in Pasadena. I've read everyone since. What is it about the books that hooked you in the way they did? <clears throat> All right, small correction. It was actually a classy indie bookstore in Pasadena. <laughs> okay. But it could have <laughs> been an airport lounge, and I see where you're going with this. Okay, uh, what, what hooked me? <clears throat> you know, the thing is, there, there are some questions there are no answers to. And, you know, I, my answer would be, it's the soul of Jack Reacher. It's the quintessence of Lee Child that somehow hooked me, but which doesn't really help. It's sort of like a metaphysical answer. But <clears throat> I would say that <clears throat> it's not the plot, it's not the character. It's not a whole load of things, but it's something like the music. Uh, and I don't know if that's unsatisfactory, or you could call it the voice. But um, probably the, the clearest example I can give of this is one day when I was hanging out with Lee and... Uh, God knows why he put up with me hanging out with him for so long. But anyway, perhaps this explains why in part, because I sort of walked in the door one day and he says, come on in, I've just written this great four-word sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, had this been Marcel Proust, it's a, hey, come in, I've just written this great 444-word sentence. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> But still, in that four-word sentence, it was, it was a great four-word sentence. Hold on, can I remember what it was? Um, yeah, I think I, think I can, actually. But well, tell us. Yeah, it, it was kind of characteristic of, of him, because it was... Uh, it, well, and this is the striking thing, actually, because you think, okay, it's going to be a fight scene or, or something like this. Okay, the headbutt goes in, or it's the elbows, or, you know, he's kicking someone out, someone's ass, you know. But it, it was actually, um, it was, I think it was something like Reacher is about to break into someone's house, and uh, he looks down the street, and there's no one there. So, okay, I can, I can break in now, but... His very simple sentence, which he was amazingly pleased with, was something like, uh, it was something like, no eyes, no ears. Oh, no interest, that's right. No eyes, no interest. Uh, which, for an action writer, is an incredible sentence. 
It's two no's. Oh, yawn. Nothing's happening. Mm. There's no verb. It's a couple of nouns. Mm. And he actually says, oh, here I am, an action writer. There's no interest here at all. It's totally <laughs> boring, which is incredibly brave of him to do. And that, but there was something in that kind of very condensed economical structure which spoke to me and obviously spoke to him. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, you know, <laughs> walked through the door. And not, hey, do you want another cup of coffee or something? No, come and look at this. So that's how, yeah, something like that. So the no sentences that permeate make me is, is, is the, the no this, no that, no pay, no gain, that kind of sentence, that is, that is what hooked you. I sort of blamed it. I, I thought that had something to do, because you know, he lives just down the road from where John Lennon lived on Central Park West. I was looking in Central Park. And I think Yoko Ono still lives just up the street, as a matter of fact. And uh, I think it was influenced by that John Lennon, No Heaven, No Hell thing, actually. Oh, right. So I think that there's a kind of element of that music there. The other thing about living just down the road from John Lennon is whenever I walk out the door with him, I'm very afraid of fans running up to him saying, you know, I love you, Mr. Child, before pulling the gun out, you know. That will um, make you collateral damage. Uh, the, yeah, because I've often thought, because that has happened a couple of times, and... I, I've often thought, am I going to say, okay, I'm not actually with him, man. Okay, take him down. It's nothing to do with me. I'm not. Or will I throw myself in the way and take the bullet for Lee Child? Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I, it's unpredictable. Yeah, it can happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Yeah, I've, I've, I've written an entire thesis on... on <laughs> Uh, I better just decide what I'm going to ask you. Uh, for me, I think the really interesting thing is looking at the title, Lee Child and the Making of Me. Mm. Um, it's so much more than that. It's a collection of anecdotes, a collection of stories around the making of uh, some of the other novels that he's written. Um, of course, Make Me is the 20th. Um, it's also about the development of Jack Reacher. So, it is about Make Me, but it's about a lot more than that. Um, what I wanted to ask you is, you also said Lee is like the sun. It takes him a while to warm up in the morning. He only starts around 2 p.m., and you said that's pretty much your siesta time. So I'm just wondering how you actually managed to get all this information, because perhaps the audience might think that you did sit behind him 24 hours a day, um, but it wasn't really so. You went on tour with him, you did all sorts of stuff. So could you maybe just share um, about your process? Um, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of other stuff in there, mainly about you know, Lee's drug taking, smoking, coffee drinking, and so on. But uh, yeah, it's mainly about the writing. But yeah, that, there was like that brief overlap in the middle of the day when we were both in fairly, you know, good shape. And then, you know, we'd diverge and so on. And, you know, I had to get out on account of all the smoking and so on. I mean, you know, I guess it was worth it, all that involuntary smoking, you know, probably doomed now. But anyway, um, yeah, the person, the reason why he, you know, he's a real grouch in, in the morning and I refused to go over there before 11 o'clock was the earliest I would knock on the door because, you know, he's so grouchy until, as he says, he has about six cups of coffee and then he becomes reasonably humane for a while until then he gets fed up as the day goes on sort of thing. So there's, there's kind of window there that, you know. Um, what was the process? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the key thing was just for me to... <clears throat> okay, I just... I tended to use this word because, of course, it was all very scientific and scholarly, but 
uh, I like to use this word aleatory, which is a fairly fancy way of saying, you know, just do whatever happens by chance and go with the flow. And uh, I mean, I to some extent had to just roll along with whatever Lee <laughs> wanted to do because, you know, otherwise he would have just kicked me right out of there. So I tried to, uh, <clears throat> you know, be a bit of a fly on the wall, really, in, in as far as that's possible, because, of course, most writers, and there may be one or two here, I mean, if you think about it, or actually, even if you're not writing, could you stand having someone sitting a couple of yards behind you half the day? <laughs> I this, don't know. a reality show. Yeah, or a reality show. Yeah, I suppose you could, actually. But, yeah, I, I think the, yeah, but, which is one thing, but, but Lee wasn't, didn't see himself as a spectacle. I think the reality is, you know, and some people think, oh, it's a bit of an ego thing for Lee. It isn't. It was the opposite of that. Because the reason he rolled along with it, I think, was because he has a kind of scientific, scholarly, professorial kind of attitude, even towards himself. And he, having got to the 20th book, started thinking, how the hell have I got to the 20th book? And he actually said to me, do you think it's crazy writing 20 books about the same guy? <laughs> and uh, he, was, he wanted someone to sort of, you know, scrutinize him and, and see exactly what was happening. So I was kind of an extension of, but you, of him. But you didn't know this. You didn't know that that was uh, going to be his response. No, no. You, thought, it, you were thinking in terms of yourself. It was a hypothesis, because how this started was... <laughs> I was cycling along King's Parade in Cambridge one fine day. It was actually in August. And I, and I had recently been reading, and some of you may, may well know this, there's a great review, as it were, or an analysis of Camus' great book, The Outsider, by Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, and it's an essay that's almost as long as the, as the book. It's very clever, very speculative, very philosophical. And I thought, and it's written after Camus had written it, and it's philosophical in the sense that this is Jean-Paul Sartre imagining what, what Camus may have meant. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he could have actually asked Camus, hey man, what do you mean by that, that sense, you know, today, you know, my mother died, and so on, instead of just speculating about it. And then I thought, well, hold on. You know, I could do that. I could just find some writer. So I thought, oh, I wonder who's about to write a book. And then you know, I'd like to say that, you know, I actually first thought of Jonathan Franzen or something like, or <laughs> I was just saying Donna Tart. You can't think of Donna Tart. It takes her 10 years. I'm not going to sit behind her for 10 years. Uh, so I thought, well, who? I know. Old Lee Child. Yeah, he do, does books quite regularly. I'll ask him. And he just said yes. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a fluky, as I say, aleatory sort of a thing. And I just thought, God. And what he actually said was, well, look, I'm starting next week, so if you're serious about this, you better get your ass over here. <laughs> so I thought, oh, all right then. <laughs> so, so that's but, how it happened. But you approach this thing in the same way that you then discovered he approaches his novels. Um, it was sort of jump in at the deep end. You've got a notion mm. of something, and yeah. then you just start writing. And he says somewhere, he tells you, that uh, he starts off with a beginning, and uh, and there are three parts to him, to a book, to writing a book. It's the it's the beginning, and there's the end. And he says, and then there's this middle part, and he hates this middle part. It's like rowing, uh, uh, rolling a stone stone up a hill every day. Yeah. You, 
and, uh, and that that middle part starts more or less on page two. Mm. So, <laughs> in a way, you were, you were doing the same thing. You were mimicking him without knowing it. Yeah, well, that, you're absolutely right, and that's a funny thing, and I only realized that as, as, it, as it went along, that he and I were kind of kindred spirits in the sense that neither of us really knew what we were doing. But we were fa fairly optimistic that it would kind of work out. So, yeah, we, we, we had that in common. Yeah, that myth of Sisyphus thing. Um, in your case, it really did work out, because uh, when I first saw your book, I yeah. thought, oh, how is this going to work? A, yeah. a book about a guy writing a book. It's like uh, watching paint dry. It's <laughs> really because uh, being a writer myself, I know nothing happens. It's, you, you sit in a, in a room in front of a, a computer. Nothing really happens. And now you've got this other guy, and he's a bloody professor at university, and he's watching you doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, but your book, in the end, reads like a thriller itself. Uh, it and really is such a... I guess I was influenced by... I mean, the paint thing. I mean, it all depends who's doing the painting. It's like, oh, nice smile, Leonardo. Yeah, that's coming along well. I mean, uh, it's more interesting, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess I was kind of influenced by him. And actually... Talking of that four-word sentence, I did notice as the book went on, my sentences were getting shorter. <laughs> every now and then, uh, every now and I think he had me hanging around because every now and then he'd say, "All right, what's the word of the day?" And you know, he'd come up with some ridiculously long-winded, slightly pompous academic word. So actually, one word of mine, if you want to know, that he really liked. I'm going to hit you with it now, actually. But all right, because <clears throat> actually, if you look at uh, Lee's work, every now and then he will slip in, you know, a funny word, and I was pointing out to one of you yesterday that, you know, if you look at Make Me very carefully, for the first time and probably the last time, he used the name of the philosopher Wittgenstein, the one very brief character, but one word of mine that he, that he kind of liked and, and actually said, what the hell is that anyway, was apotropaic, and I said, oh, you know, you're quite apotropaic in your... <laughs> goes, what? You know, and I said, yeah, well, okay, <clears throat> because it is one of those technical terms from the Greek, apotropane, meaning turn away, but you use it for things like evil spirits and so on. So you're trying to turn away evil spirits. So that what he was doing in his work, because if you think about it, it's, it's you know, full of bad stuff that he's basically being apotropate. But <clears throat> I remember one thing where, when I'd done this book, he, he said, well, one time he said, oh, you know, there's two good things in that book. I thought, oh, that's nice. And then another time he said, well, there is one good thing in the book. It was kind of, he, he was going down. But the, the one good thing that he said w was in the book and that really surprised him is, and really I was just recording what he was doing, is, is one fine day when, uh, as you rightly say, he has this methodology which I described as clueless, so he doesn't know quite where he's going, but, you know. Uh, he didn't, having started in September the 1st, he didn't really know what the hell was going on in this little place, Mother's Rest, where Reacher was completely mystified, as was Lee Child, until about the middle of January. <laughs> and then the middle of January, he had this insight. He thought, you know, I, I just worked out what's going on. And, I, and he, then he told me, and I, I won't reveal it here for those who haven't read the book, and, uh, and I actually said to him, God, Okay, I'm quoting myself here. You evil mastermind bastard. Because he had actually come up with this incredibly evil scheme. And, and he goes, oh, I suppose I am. Because he, for many years, 
you know, like a, a certain naive readers, had been confusing himself with Jack Reacher. He thought he was Jack Reacher, just a lot thinner. <laughs> but what about but, you? Did yeah, you but, become, become Jack Reacher in a way as well? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you mean wannabe Jack Reacher? Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there is an element of that, I suspect, actually. The thing I would like to point out about Jack Reacher, by the way, as, as you know, true fans will be conscious, is that, A, for one thing, he speaks good French, as do I. So that's something we have in common, because he has a French mother, if you remember this. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, you know, unusually... But what about, but what about a, the fact that he's, he's a babe magnet? The babe magnet. I... <laughs> Well, now, listen, he, Lee doesn't think that Reacher is a babe magnet. Admittedly, you know, in, I think there are one or two books in which he does not have an affair. Okay, there's only one book called The Affair, but all right. That, that often seems to happen. But, okay, for starters, you have to remember, Lee, as he said to me, is basically trying to postpone the end. Because he, he actually says, look, if Reacher was as smart as everyone thinks he is, he'll have solved the bloody crime by page two. Then, what are the publishers going to say? Where's the other 300 pages, mate? So, <laughs> okay, so there's an element of postponement there. Okay, me as Babe Magnet? Oh, only in my dreams, yeah. But you're also a surfer boy. Oh, the surf dude thing. Yeah, but that didn't help at all with Lee, because this is the thing that you have to know about Lee. He disapproves. Uh, other than, as you mentioned, the babe magnet thing, he disapproves of just about all physical activity. And so I would often say, I mean, he's looking out over Central Park. I say, oh, it's a nice day. Let's go for a stroll across Central Park. What? Stroll? What are you talking about, man? <laughs> this is his attitude. And I think I once said to him, oh, oh, yeah, look, the case of Larson, you know, the author of the great Girl, the Dragon Tattoo, the Millennium Trap Trilogy and all that, died aged 50, Ish, young, running up the stairs in uh, Stockholm. Uh, he was slightly out of shape, uh, you know, probably eating too many burgers. I gather he had a bad diet and so on. And then the bloody lift or elevator, whatever you say over here, uh, stops working. So he runs up, up the stairs. And I said to him, look, that's going to happen to you one of these days if you're not careful with, you know, your bad lifestyle habits and so on. And he goes, no, it won't. <laughs> I never run anywhere. Can I, can I interject you know. here? Yeah. <laughs> well, sorry. Yeah, no, uh, uh, I just love the banter that, that yeah. you have, which you're sharing with us now. All right, okay, yeah. Um, and yeah, just wondering if, if you actually became friends. Uh, there's a lot of humor in the book. Uh, you also had a lot of conversations about the characters, what different characters should be named. Um, it seems as if Lee Child really shared his process with you. Um, so, yeah, are you friends? How far did that banter go? Do you feel um, that, you, that you influenced his book in any way? And then I've got a follow-up question after that. Yeah, did I influence? I mean, he, he played around with that a bit, actually. Um, because, you know, every now and then I'd be sitting there. And, you know, as happens to even the best of writers, he'd go... He'd be sitting there for a while, not doing any, you know, typing and so on. And eventually I'd say to him, is this writer's block? You know, are you stuck? I mean, <laughs> I was slightly winding him up, you know. 
what, you run out of words or something, mate? Or, you know. and, he's, and there was one day where he said, oh, yeah, I'm actually stuck. You know, what would you, what would you suggest for this? And I actually, I remember flinging in the word sociopath. So if you read Make Me and you come across the word sociopath, that was me. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, that'll do. I'll put that in. Uh, and it's basically because I think of him as a little bit of a sociopath, funny enough. So the friends thing. Uh, you know, he, he's a funny guy to, yeah, friends, enemies. I would say sparring partners just about mm -hmm. summed it up, actually. Uh, and, and, he, and he wants someone to kind of, you know. Is intellectual equal? But I don't know about equal, but we kind of get on reasonably well, actually. And, and you know, but he is, uh, and you're, you'll see this in the book, but you know he has this economy of style, obviously. He still writes, mind you, he managed to write 100,000 words, so it's not that economical per book, but still, nevertheless, it feels economical, and he has that. So if I contact him, I was saying to someone the other day that, I said to him, by the way, I did say to him in a, in a recent email, look, I'm doing this thing in, in South Africa. Have you got any special revelations for your fans in South Africa? And he has. So I would like to share that with you right now. And he's writing this book, that his current one, which isn't finished yet, but he's just hitting the, the phase that he calls the marathon sprint, where he gets towards the end of the whole thing. It's called The Midnight Line. You may have noticed that he's in the middle of this. But I, so I said to him, so what, you know, what's going on? And he said, uh, <clears throat> I feel I'm not giving too much away here, but look out for this when you read The Midnight Line. He said, I've just written this, it's a bit like his four-word sentence, I've just written this interesting page about bed bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so bed bugs get into the midnight line. So there you go. We that is, you know, the words of wisdom from the master himself. <laughs> but yeah, my point was going to be that he is a little bit, uh, you know, he's a little bit over-economical sometimes so with, with emails, because, you know, I'll see him if I'm in New York and, and so on, but, and we'll have a chat over dinner, and he can be quite, you know, jovial once you get, you know, several coffees inside him and so on, but, um, but uh, over email. <laughs> so I sent him a message some time ago saying, hey, man, I just got to New York, are you around? And he came back with a one-worder, you know, because normally it's one line. This time it was one word, and the one word was Wyoming. <laughs> and I, so I go back to him and say, oh, look, Jesus, I know you've got this economical thing going on, but one word. You could have sent me a picture or something. So by return, I get a photograph of the view out of the window in Wyoming. <laughs> That's it. No more words. So, yeah, yeah, he, he's a friendly, yeah. he's a friendly local sociopath, basically. It's, uh, yeah, how would you describe it? I just yeah. wanted to follow up on that as well, um, you know, whether you, you became close or not. Um, another question for you directly as far as the process is concerned. Um, at some stage around Chapter 28, uh, Lee expresses doubt that Make Me would become uh, a novel, and he shared with you that it might only be a short story, yeah. which was quite interesting that he, he wrote about that doubt, um, but that put you in a bit of a flat spin. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just interested in... Uh, yeah, it wasn't all, you know, sunshine. Um, it was obviously sometimes a difficult process. Yeah, I mean, that way he, he's really struggling. And, and I'm still not sure, actually. Was he winding me up, or was that real? Uh, I'm not quite sure, because then my response to that was to wind him up and say, OK, man, look, I think I know where this plot is going. I can finish this. <laughs> so, 
And then, and he'd go, no, you can't. So then he, he, he would go back to it. So, um, well, you know, one of the reasons why I thought it'd be interesting to, to interview him on the 20th book, uh, and I would keep saying this to him, and he, only because he was thinking himself, are you running out of steam now? I mean, come on, how many books can you write about one guy anyway? And uh, he himself was asking this question, which is why I think he, oh, maybe you know, it's run question. out now. It's not going to make it. But so I think it was a genuine anxiety, yeah. There's a question that I want to ask that actually links into what Joanne asked. Um, at some stage, the publishers weren't quite happy with you hanging over Lee's shoulder. They, they, they thought your being there was toxic, to quote you directly. Uh, let me just say, for any publishers who happen to be in the audience who are connected, of course, I love Penguin Random House, but yes, uh, there was an anxiety expressed there, not just by them, by the way, but effectively it's, you're going to screw up, Lee Chow, like, okay, so this is the publisher point of view, hold on, golden goose over here, over here, goose killer. <laughs> but, That's you. <laughs> Leave those eggs alone, man. You know, so there was that. We don't need you. It's fine without you. You know, uh, so that was not Lee's attitude, fortunately. But uh, the funny thing about that was that um, because the way that we this deal worked was, oh, yeah, all right, you can sit there. Just don't bother me too much. And I don't have to read what you're writing or anything. I'll be fine. And, you know, that just and whatever. Follow up. But then he had to. This is the thing, because... Mm -hmm. Everyone said, oh, man, that's going to be so toxic. And his own publisher said, actually said to him, beyond that, don't have any more to do with that guy, Andy Martin, because you're <laughs> never going to finish the flipping book, man. You know, and, they, and so he said, oh, I better have a look at what you're doing behind me, you know, <laughs> over here. Let me have a look at those notes. And I'd written a fair bit, so I go, oh, all right, that wasn't, you know, what, because I actually, to some extent, thought, I don't want to put him off by, you know, yeah. letting him see what, but he had to see it. Fortunately, he kind of green-lighted it and phoned them up and told them to, uh, what is his nice phrase for this, actually? Um, it was something like, <laughs> this is his diplomatic way of telling someone to take a running jump. Um, you might want to rethink this. I think that's his line, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that sounds like a reacher line. Yeah, it? it's, yeah, it's a kind of reacher line. It's you might want to read just it's before he you know, comes out with a headbutt. Because um, nobody ever does rethink, of course. They're given the opportunity. You know, and they never, they never go back off. One my, of these days, they'll My follow-up question to this one is when this book was finished, yeah. did Lee actually read it? And what was his attitude, or how did he receive it if he did? Okay, just because it's especially you guys, and you're here today, and I'm going to quote a word of Lee's, which I wouldn't normally quote, because it's not the kind of thing, if you see lots of other books with a Lee Child blurb on, you're, you'll see it's all, wow, this is so thrilling, or yeah, this is as hardcore as Reacher, or yeah, I couldn't put it down. You know, he'll say... You know, which is fair enough. And, and they are genuine blurbs. And, and, you know, he gets asked to do loads and so on. And I didn't ask him to do a blurb for this because I thought it was too incestuous. But anyway, so when he, he actually read it, he used this really nice word which sounds nothing like Jack Reacher, but is the kind of word that Lee Child is capable of saying, but he will edit it out. 
later on of anything that might, you know, so it doesn't reveal that actually he's quite a cool guy and, or, or quite a soft-hearted guy in some way. Because the word he actually used was enchanting. 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 And as I say, there's nothing, that Jack Reacher will never use that word, I swear. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, but he used it just because he thought it's like, oh, okay, this is like a fairy tale. I'm in it. But it's like I'm some mythic, well, something between a handsome prince and a monster. <laughs> not really a troll, though. No, yes, not, yeah. not a troll. No. But you He's are, bigger than a troll. You are a number, number one fan. Um, I, yeah, if I you, guess. If you can claim that, may yeah. I claim the spot of number two fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just you so once throw your bra at Randy <laughs> Reacher at some uh, launch. I think that is no, no, no. Some, some article of, of naughty clothing. That would have been a question of masculine, you know, right. <laughs> mass murder. To uh, reveal my brawless breasts to uh, old I, I, people. Actually, I mean, I, it, it was an article of clothing, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just in my thoughts. Oh, in my thoughts. <laughs> oh, all right. Okay. I've obviously taken this a little bit further. No, no, no. See you screaming. Yeah, he would. <laughs> Lee, no, Lee, was, Lee uh, would love that. Actually. Yeah. I was at a book fair, and he was there. It oh, was. Yeah. Uh, it was the. Um, okay. Harrogate. Oh, right, okay. Harrogate. See, yeah. they remember. Yeah. In, in, right, yeah. <laughs> it was the Harrogate Book Fair, and I was standing there waiting to get into the, the room where yeah. he was going to be the speaker. And uh, I looked around, and there the child was standing. And I thought, how did this happen? How did he just appear here? And he looks so normal. Apart from the fact that he's a broomstick, he sticks away above <laughs> everybody else's head. Um, but he was just standing there serious. with a cup of coffee in his hand. And did you, and did you speak to him? Yeah. I was still afraid. Oh, right. I was really, I was just, Intimidated. He's quite approachable. Uh, how does it? this happen? I thought this guy was going to arri arrive in a helicopter. Yeah, with yeah. six bodyguards around right. him, you know, like a real rock star, because he is a rock star. And uh, I was just so afraid. And then when he started talking, actually talking on, on stage, I had this urge <laughs> of throwing my panties at the <laughs> same. <laughs> I didn't want to mention She hadn't quite done. It wouldn't I have been a nice sight because uh, in my case they would have been bloomers. You know? the <laughs> and the then that would have become a human rights issue. But when you appeared on the stage here, uh, I was sitting with my water bottle and I thought, Wow, this is the next best thing to lead mm. child. Well, that's very nice of you to, to say that. The next moment I had this very uncomfortable a sensation of wetting myself. And I thought, oh, this can't be true. And then I realized my water bottle was open. <laughs> I need to have a drink after can, that Can myself. I interrupt here and uh, ask you a question, which um, is linked to this. Lee Child is a rock star. He is probably one of the most famous authors worldwide. He is mm. read by Haruki Murakami yeah. and... Um, you name it. Um, a, a lot of famous writers uh, read his stuff uh, clandestinely. They don't actually want to admit to, to reading it. So Lee Child is famous, but Reacher is also famous. Yeah. Who is actually more famous? I'm, I'm, I think people regard Reacher, as does Lee Child, as this real, this real person. People get very upset, for example, that Tom Cruise was uh, cast as Reacher in the Yes. Um, yeah, who is the real rock star? 
Is it Lee Child or is it Reacher? Or Tom Cruise. Or Tom Cruise. Definitely not Tom Cruise. Yeah, it's a good question. Who does Reacher belong to? Because, you know, Reacher in Lee's mind is kind of out there somewhere having adventures. I think someone said to him, you know, doesn't he ever have a break from adventures? And, and his answer to that is, yeah, he does occasionally, but those stories are so boring that publishers won't let me write them. So, uh, <clears throat> so he's always having adventures. Uh, could he become, you know, because he's Lee Child's... Jack Reacher, but could he become Tom Cruise's Jack Reacher? I think this is his worst nightmare. Uh, oh, actually, no, it's second only to Andy Martin's Jack Reacher. Mm. That would be his really worst nightmare. <clears throat> but because he does actually fear people taking Reacher away from him, because every now and then, and this actually happens, uh, you know, fellow writers will come up to him <clears throat> and go, you know, Lee, you're not looking very well these days, actually. What with all the smoking and whatnot, it takes, it takes its toll. I think you should, you know, think about putting your feet up a bit more. And while you're at it, you know, I could have a go at your, your Reacher books for you, man, because, you know, yeah, we could sort of share it around and I could, you know, do what you do. It's not that hard, is it? And so on. And I was actually at dinner with one guy who said, oh, come on, you know, to, to Lee, who's a fellow writer. And said, oh, make me, come on, it's so easy, you know, Reacher gets off a train, you know, all hell breaks loose, come on, anyone can do that. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, so, so Lee does, uh, and he, I think the thing that's, you know, because according to medical science, he really shouldn't still be ticking over very well, and plus, <laughs> you know, he literally, as a kid, seven or something, he had some kind of potentially fatal illness and whenever scarlet fever I think was and whenever you know doctors have a look at him you know and they check out his heart they go what you know like builders looking at some building that's crumbling down and go <laughs> you know the sharp intake and uh, <laughs> but he's still there and I think the reason he's still there he doesn't want anyone else to take over the flipping character you know he's got to keep going there are all these vultures poised, ready to swoop, including me, potentially. I have a question on, on, on the topic of Tom Cruise. That apparently was the one thing you were not supposed to ask him about, yeah. is, or talk about even, is Tom Cruise being cast as Jack Reacher. And I know a large number of Jack Reacher fans actually feel slightly betrayed by this casting. What was his attitude, or what is his attitude? Well, well you know, the funny thing is about the, the, the fans, actually... My worst nightmare is that the fans can't get at him very easily, so they get at me instead. Yes, so I've actually yes. had messages addressed to me saying, burn in hell, child, I quote. <laughs> That's the bit I can quote. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah which is insane, you know, because, yeah, they're, they're, you sold us out, man, and so, all this uh, kind uh, of uh, stuff. Are you saying so, then that, that Reacher yeah. is more important to the fans than Lee Child? Uh, I suppose that's what I'm getting at. Is yeah, actually, to some Reacher extent... Reacher kind of exists out there, yeah. doesn't he? As to, a real person. Yeah. To, to some yeah. extent, that, that, that is true. And I've occasionally wound Lee up by saying that, oh, you know, if the Lee Child drops dead, it'll be, oh, oh, well, so long as Reacher's okay, it's not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually, when he'd finished the, I think it was night school, you know, the, the one after Make Me, all right, he just finished night school and he was just thinking about publicizing it and so on. And we were actually standing, and I remember precisely because, okay, he's having a smoke. He's in his apartment. He's on the 11th floor looking over Central Park. So he goes to the window at the front and 
opens the window. So, okay, he's making a, he's making a bit of an effort. Okay, I'll open the window so the smoke goes out, you know, kind of thing. And he's standing there and he says, you know, the best thing I could do to publicize night school would actually be to jump out the window right now because, you know, you know, deceit, the posthumous, oh, the last work of the tragic, you know, author. God, that'd be wonderful for the public publicity. He says, I just wouldn't be around to enjoy it. But yeah, that, that would be the thing. So uh, I've forgotten what the question was, actually. But yeah, um, so he, yeah, he actually, he, he, he envisages his own fate quite, quite, quite regularly, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Reacher will live on, one suspects, Reacher, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Reacher is immortal. Reacher is not. is such an enigma. No yeah. one can pin Reacher down. Reacher... Reacher's not getting any older, either. This is no, the thing. Yeah. He stopped yeah. him getting older. If only we could all do that, you know. Uh, yeah, under, be... under the age of 50. Yeah, he, he should be know, about he, 50 now. If he gets over 50, you know that if he gets over 50 and he gets into a fight, it's going to take him six months to recover from... <laughs> oh, someone hit me in the shoulder. Oh, <laughs> All right, give me six months. I'll be back in action. <laughs> <laughs> and he won't so be that's it. He won't be shoveling uh, uh, swimming pools. Yes. Oh, he just won't have the strength. Yeah, that, that's right, actually. That, that great one, yeah, it's about the second book, isn't it, where he's shoveling, shovel, uh, dig it, digging swimming pools, yeah. enjoying it, mm -hmm. you know, putting on a bit do more people, muscle and so on. But do it, uh, people ever expect from you yeah. to be able to know exactly which scene is in which book or to quote from, you know, like Every book, if you were a preacher from the Old Testament. You're not so. going to do that, are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> sad, sad to confess, my knowledge is not, you know, completely encyclopedic. I'm not omniscient in, in these matters. A any more than Lee himself is, because I actually occasionally I've said to him, oh, you know that line of yours? Hold on, what was that line? Um, where Reacher says to some guy who's I remember it was something like this that some bad guy says, Oh, look, I'm going to send a couple of heavy guys around to, you know, rough you up, man. Um, and, you know, if you don't do what I want you to do or something. And Reacher, of course, says, oh, Come on. You know, like, there are only about three guys in the world that I could conceivably be afraid of, you know. What are the chances that your two heavies are going to be any of those three? And I said to, said to Lee, that, that's roughly, that's the scene, that's the kind of dialogue. And I said to him, yeah, what, what book is it that that comes up? And he goes, let me think, was it this one? Oh, I know, it could be just about any of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hazy continuum for yeah. me. But every now and then, did, yeah. Did you, did you get an education by writing this book in terms of how to write, how to write uh, economically, sparingly? Um, uh, it seems to me as though his own philosophy is take away move into the nothingness, move into saying less, saying more with less. Um, uh, it, uh, uh, for me, as I read the book, a second layer of the book was that it was also a literary sort of an instruction of how to. Uh, was it, did you plan to leave those little things in there? Is there another book? Is there a book? that you might write that is a thriller after having experienced this? 
Okay, because can I say, as you probably know, sometimes I take the piss out of Lee Child, but I've got to say, I, I do still have rather massive respect for him. And, I, I, you know, there's something in what he does, and, and which is kind of inspiring. I think many people have been inspired by him. Some people have unwisely been inspired to, you know, walk into a bar and try to kick the ass of six heavy guys and then regretted it. But okay, apart from that, the actual writing side of it. Uh, yeah, um, what I learned, I mean... <clears throat> You know, someone asked me about the secret yesterday, and maybe there is no secret, but if there were to be a secret, it would be that these are the f kind of funny things that he, Lee, has sometimes said, and, you know, it may resonate with some people. Uh, he said, you've got to get out of your own way to write. And another funny thing he said about, well, he, you know, if there's one writer he, he kind of tends to take the piss out of, it's Martin Amis, okay? Uh, but, but Martin Amos is a good writer, of course, but Lee says that the thing about Martin Amos is his, that he really thinks of himself as a writer. <clears throat> and that he sums it up as saying, <clears throat> this, is, this is Martin Amos getting down to work. Hey, Ma, look, I'm writing. Uh, whereas, <clears throat> according to Lee, the thing should be, you don't, you know, the, the true writer doesn't think of him or herself as a writer, but as, rather as a reader. What would I like to read now? rather than what, what would I like to write. And I think, I guess that probably has inspired me a little bit. Something about the oral style which he has, which is somewhere in between kind of dialogue and the literary. I'm not quite sure. It's some, somehow, you know, poised. But um, could, I, could I do what he does? No, I don't think so. But I could do something slightly different. And he has sort of, every now and then people think, oh, yeah, some of it must have rubbed off on you. But... <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to answer related to that. He says mm. he starts, is it the 1st of September, the yeah. 24th of September, one of those dates. Yeah. Anyway, um, and then he writes, and he doesn't stop. He doesn't rewrite. Is that actually the truth? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, there's two parts to that. The 1st yeah. September thing. Can I say he nearly blew night school? Because he, in, in a spirit of, oh, everything will be fine, you know, that's confident, you know, hubris thing. He has to be there at his office on September the 1st, get the whole ball rolling, otherwise he's stopped. You know, this is his magical sort of thinking. But he caught the plane back from, he was coming back from Norway, then via Ireland. He was due to arrive, you know, the, just the day before. And then the plane developed a leak, and he was stuck in Ireland. And he actually texted me on, you know, the 31st of, no, sorry, yeah, 31st of August, saying, oh, my God, help, help, I'm stuck in Ireland. I'm never going to get the book started. <laughs> and he managed to get another flight. He got back, started the book, you know, something like quarter to midnight and wrote about a line and a half and went, Whew, okay, job done. Okay, I'm all set now. But, and which may explain partly why the next book is called The Midnight Line, because that was his midnight line, even though... <clears throat> Oddly enough, and that's the fine one, but although Midnight Line has a specific meaning, you may remember this, older people, and it was the line apparently that you had on the phone. You phone people after midnight, and it was cheap. That doesn't work anymore, but that's where that means something else in, in his book. But okay, the, the second part of that was okay, not the September the 1st thing, but, yeah, but we have everything else. Of Lee Child everything to else, sit yeah. Down and writing. <clears throat> So he, did you catch him rewriting? I guess that's what I want to know. He, he, do, he doesn't, because, yeah, he, he, the line of his that most resonates in, in my mind is just after he'd started Make Me, and he'd hardly written a word. In fact, he'd just written the, you know, like chapter one. And he turned to me and said, oh, yeah, you know what? This is, not, this is not the first draft. And I said, oh, yeah, what is it then? 
he says, it's the only drug, you know, in this kind of reach for us, you know, heavy kind of don't mess with me kind of a way. And, and I like that. And it really is. But he does, okay, he doesn't, he won't allow anyone to say it. That's revision, man. It, he, he does what he calls it churning, where he will revisit the thing that he's just done and just straighten it out a little bit. But he refuses to <clears throat> actually make me. There was one thing where he went back, his publishers forced him. It's maybe of interest to you that... Those of you, and I'm not giving anything away for those who have, have not read it. Uh, the, there's a main, main woman character called Chang. She was originally called Stash Hour. Yes. Uh, and I was quite attached to Stash Hour. Anyway, Stash Hour died to be replaced by Chang. So I'm 90% of the way through the book. And anyway, his publisher's got, so she became an Asian character. And so his publisher actually got him to go back and make a revision. By the way, he says, because he hates revising, he says, okay, I'll allow the editor to make three suggestions. I'll take one of them. That's <laughs> it. <You know. laughs> on a more personal level... <laughs> he hates level. editors, so there was one where he had to go... But, sorry, go on. What? On, a, on a more personal level, in a previous life, Lee Child was known as Jim Grant. Yeah, yeah. What does he prefer to be called in private? Okay, I can answer we've that. Been asked, we've been wondering about that. Yeah, because you might wonder what you say to him when, when you go up to him and so on. Okay, the simple answer is Lee. Uh, or Mi Mr. Child, conceivably, I suppose. But uh, <clears throat> there, there are only two kinds of people that will still call him Jim Grant. I, I, I will only ever do it as a kind of joke myself. But uh, one is the doorman of his building, Mr. Grant, because it, that technically is still his... I think it must say that on his passport. I haven't seen his passport, but it must say that on his passport mm. because Lee Chart is, of course, his pen name. Uh, which he adopted, you know, age 40. So it can't be on his passport. But, uh, and and it, therefore, it's on the contract of the building, Mr. Grant. So the dog, Mr. Grant. Yeah, okay, fine. Uh, and the others are those who knew him, like his family, before he became Lee Child. So his brother will call him Jim, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're very few and far between, so I only ever call him Lee. And the pen name Lee Child actually has a very nice story attached to it. Um, well, how he came up with the name Lee Child. Yes, how he came up yeah. with the name Lee Child. And, and he, <clears throat> it's partly because of word games. And one of the things he said is that, look, in order to become a writer, you've got to have silly word games, uh, you know, at home. And one of his funny, and this is a true story, <laughs> so you may know it, but <clears throat> he and his wife were on a train. He really does have a, have a wife, by the way. I'm sorry if that's disappointing for anyone in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> She, uh, we can kill her. I, I sometimes think she's fictional, but I have met her once. In fact, she had this funny line actually that I'd only met her for 10 seconds. She said, Do you want to know the secret of a happy marriage? I said, Oh, yeah, all right then. Go on, what is it? She said, Live on separate continents. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so they were on a train together once. No, they do occasionally meet up, you know. Anyway, um, uh, and, and uh, so there, there was a guy from Texas. He was talking about a new car, that, which, which was uh, a French car. It was a Renault, which was advertised as Le Car, you know, because it's very French, weird advertising. But anyway, and he pronounces Le Car. And they somehow adopted that, you know, using the definite article from the French, use, pronounces Le and they were playing, you know, will you pass Lee salt or Lee pepper and so on. And then when they had a kid, they called her Lee Child. And he derived it from that. When he, when he wanted a name, he got it from his own daughter, so to speak. Oh, yeah. 
Lee Child, that's cool. And Child, yeah, it's next to kind of Chandler and Christie on the bookshelves. Oh, that'll do. You know, and it's monosyllabic. So that, that's how he came to, yeah, adopt that, actually. But speaking of uh, monosyllabic, he is very, very sensitive to sound. Mm. And it's, uh, to me, it's one of the reasons why I love uh, Lee Child is uh, you're not even aware of it, but you are being drawn into the beauty of the, of the story and the way that he tells it by the sound, the sound and the yeah. rhythm and yeah. so on. And I, that's a new thing that I learned from your book was his own sensitivity to sound and tone and the tone of voice and that he has, uh, he tells you that it, 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 must, it must sound like a guy sitting on his porch telling you a story. Oh yeah, there's that. I can also think of a specific funny example of that. Actually. How are we doing for time, by the way? I don't know, but uh, the, the example where he was very pleased with the sound, as it were, the poetry, the music. Uh, Reach had just blown someone's brains out and uh, literally, and the back of his skull hits the wall with, a, at, connect, with brain matter. And he had this sentence, something about, you know, the whole back of the guy's cranium hit the wall with a wet slap. And he goes, oh, wet slap. It's lovely, isn't it? Because it just sounds, it's very onomatopoeic, it sounds like a wet slap, you know. <laughs> so that, he was, oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, so that was, yeah. So the sound of the thing. So that is the, that is the rock star, because he actually has these big old rock star type guitars sitting around the, the apartment. So are you ever going to play those? And he goes, nah. He would have done Once Upon a Time. But so this is, this is his substitute, because he said, yeah, Fifth Beatle, I could have been that. But, uh, you know, this is his substitute for, yeah. the, for the rock star. He never quite, so the music is, so for example, actually, was, think, yeah, Stephen King, if you read his great book, you know, I'm writing, brilliant. But King says that, you know, he will sit there listening to Led Zeppelin or some, you know, you know the Foo Fighters or something, loud rock music, and while writing his stuff. That works for some writers. And Lee goes, I've never been able to work that out about Stephen King. And they, they quite respect one another. But that is, seems like madness because he, although he's not insistent on complete silence, nevertheless, he's not going to listen to music because he said, I'm listening to the music of my own sentences. Mm -hmm. And I don't want someone else's music, even if it's Led Zeppelin or whoever, yeah. you know, getting into it. Thanks for that. Uh, I think we have about two minutes left. Yeah, just know if it, uh, the audience. Want, if there is somebody who wants to what, ask a question. Wanted to pitch any questions. What was, um, what was Lee's reaction when you sent your first mail? I, must, I mean, it must have been a bit of a weird request. I can't think of anybody ever sending such a request to a writer. <laughs> yeah, because you. I also wanted to just. Tell yeah. the anecdote about the construction. The construction thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, and Lee writing while oh, this yeah. construction was going on. All right, yeah, that is quite funny. Yeah, okay, so I'll just answer that quickly. Yeah, because you'd think he'd say, you might want to rethink that or something, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he was just up for it, actually. And he j just said, okay, come to. Because he, he, he was just fascinated by the process in, in a slightly academic way. Uh, so there is that to him. The funny thing about the construction, yeah, is that. You know, or, as I say, he, he's not worried about complete silence, and, and he will take things in so that one day when there was construction going on at the house next door and everyone's banging away and so on, and, you know, most writers would be, oh, flipping noise, that's put me off. He, he actually uses it, and so that when I, there was banging going, the next line as I was watching him do this, you get the word nail in there. So he actually kind of, in this, 
slightly magpie-like way, he'll just, oh, okay, I'll have that. You, what's that? And often I'll say, oh, man, you just took that thing I said. And it's, wow, you've, yeah, of course, you know, this is what we do. Waste nothing. You know, this is his line. <laughs> Exploit everyone. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, this gentleman. Uh, the old Socratic notion that uh, uh, the, the unexamined life is not worth living sort of comes to mind if, yeah. you, if, a, if a, 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 second, a second order reflection on what you're doing can start influencing, uh, influencing what you do subsequently. Yeah. Uh, uh, you mentioned the, uh, and it's quite obvious in a way, that uh, the outsider type of trope uh, is available when one wants to uh, an analyze uh, Jack Reacher. Yeah. Uh, and he's got some uh, precursors in, say, Philip Marlowe in a certain sense, and Joe Nesbos, Harry Hawley, and people like that play in that same sort of awareness field. But here he's got an actual practicing observer <laughs> sitting behind him yeah. and perhaps a stimulating type of second reflection considerations on his part, which could then influence uh, the, uh, the, the, the further development of his character or any of his stories in the, uh, of, his, uh, of his You know, almost like the Moliere, he can suddenly discover uh, that uh, he's been speaking in prose. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, he's wise enough to know so, that. So, does your presence, in a certain sense, because you know one another, you talk one another, yeah. uh, in a sense, uh, 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 influenced him in, in that way, or uh, does he regard it as necessary to insulate him from that type of influence? One can imagine that in certain type of environments, when he starts talking, you mentioned some of his guys coming to him and saying, look, I could do that. Uh, <laughs> is already doing that. He's already yeah. got a character around. He hates Baldacci. Uh, you know that guy, <laughs> David Baldacci. Uh, I want to so see a fight yeah. between Chad and Baldacci one of these days and see uh, who uh, wins. So, so you, you, you get my drift. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, the, sure. The, the, no, the, I mean, the, the idea being that, uh, that he has to... Uh, I like the Socratic yeah. thing. I mean, Socratic ignorance would be his kind of attitude, basically. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, hopefully it'll be all right. But um, yeah, the um, meta book... This, this is the thing, you know, because he, he quite liked the idea of the metaphor. And the reason for that, and I think, you know, true fans will appreciate, because Reacher is already a kind of meta book in himself. Because, as you will know, and this is what makes it interesting, and I think you could contrast this with someone like Baldacci, actually, um, is that, okay, a Reacher fight, okay, it's always quite interesting, and it's to some extent choreographed. But if you read it carefully, the interesting thing is that you have Reacher thinking about what he's going to do next and then perhaps doing it or doing something else. So you've got a kind of detachment where, where Reacher, and, uh, which is part of the charm, I think, of Reacher, he doesn't just do something. He thinks about it as well as doing it. So he is observing himself to some extent or, or child has Reacher observing himself. So, that, so there is that slightly multi multi-layered aspect. I mean, the, the funniest line that was a bit like that, that came, came up in Make Me, is where, actually, it's the same guy who just said his brain's blown out. That's right. And, and somehow or other, he was still ticking over, I think. Um, or was this another, no, perhaps there's another guy who had a neck wound. That's okay, the, the guy with a neck wound. And, and the, 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 the woman, Chang, says to her, and, and Lee then, because he's not quite dead, starts finishing him off. And the woman, Chang, says to him, oh, hold on a second, you're, you're actually killing him for a second time. And he comes up with this, Reach comes up with this line, well, well he, wasn't, he wasn't well to begin with. 
Uh, so <laughs> he's always kind of, you know, kind of commenting on, on what he's doing. So there is that. It's already there to some extent. So I was kind of just like extrapolating that a little bit. You remember the story. Sorry to, to, to do this. Can I do this? The story of, uh, um, uh, of the, the old woman uh, uh, who, uh, when... You're not talking about his mother. No, 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 no not the mother. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, when, when asked uh, what, keeps, uh, what keeps the planet Earth in its... Uh, in its uh, oh, this is the turtle place. story. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Turtle well, the there, there's a tortoise, and then you've got tortoises all the way down. Yeah. You remember that. Yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Have you experienced anyone who's trying to look over your shoulder and perhaps have tortoises <laughs> going back, feeding off the industry, so to speak? Yeah, I actually had this guy... Swedish guy, Carl Sederstrom, turn up and do that and write an article about it for a Swedish newspaper, funnily enough, actually, when we're in Stockholm. Uh, yeah, so, so, so there is that. Um, I sort of think, um, okay, now Lee Charles had me do that. I guess I'll have J.K. Rowling on the phone, you know, demanding. <laughs> but, you know, that has yet to happen. And you must uh, ask one last question. Oh, yeah. Really I, um, I, yeah but I, I just wanted to tell a little story as well. Yeah. Um, I did a compilation of crime fiction stories in about 2008, and um, very uh, naively I sent Lee Child a, uh, an email as well and said, would you write the forward? And surprisingly enough, I got an email back from him, and he said, yes, of course. So I had the sense of this generosity, which yeah. was absolutely fantastic. And I suppose I'm mentioning that because I've got the same sense when I read this. There's a, a, a he's such a generous giver. Um, he supplies the information you want, but you in turn are generous with the way that you deal with him. So I guess what I'm doing is I'm punting the book. Uh, <laughs> it, it's no, a lovely read. You're right. Um, you're yeah, right. yeah. He, and he, then I just wanted to ask, you know, what's your best memory? Maybe we can end off with that. Or if you want to talk about the generosity. Okay, yeah. Both ways. No, he is... Uh, okay, I mean, I just... Okay, just a funny little story. I don't, yeah, because, you know, he, he weaves between, as you imagine, because he's sort of in demand being, you know, ruthless monster and an extremely generous, benevolent kind of a guy and very, very warm-hearted sometimes. So a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde, like all of us, I suspect, actually. But uh, the thing that he is very fanatical about, you know, his kind of religious tendency is to do with coffee. So there's probably most of the things, you know, come, come down to coffee, really, in the end. And his kind of emphasis, and you know that Reacher always drinks black, black coffee. So probably one of the memories that just sticks in my mind, which is neither generous nor ungenerous, but we're, we're just sitting in this cafe and, um, you know, we're, we're having coffee. And so, of course, his is black, and, but the waitress has just delivered my Americano, I think. So I've got black coffee, I've got milk on the side. And it's just automatically picking up the milk. I was just about to put, you know, and he looks at me and goes, oh, so you want to ruin a perfectly fine cup of black coffee? Well, you just go ahead and do it then. So of course, put the flipping milk down again and go back to the black coffee, which of course I invariably do drink with him. Because, you know, that's his, there's a kind of, I don't want to turn that into complete allegory, but the, you know, there's a kind of simplicity to that. Hey, here's this thing. Don't mess with it. Keep it simple. Then you'll be fine. Uh, that, that's Lee, Thank all you. over. Okay. Thank you very, very much. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure.